your word this day. May we do so under the mercy of and through the wisdom of your Holy Spirit. May you search our hearts and give us strength to follow you more surely and love you more deeply. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I have a guilty pleasure. Usually uh, it started when I was much younger and on uh, family vacations and long trips. I really love to look at the Rand McNally Road Atlas. Um, and uh, j- just um, when I was younger, I would come up with imaginary journeys where we would go and uh, places to see. And even now, it's a pleasant distraction when I'm not in the driver's seat. Um, but uh, it, it's, I think it goes back to an idea, geography-wise, I always like to know where we're going. What's the road ahead? What can we expect? Um, and Romans 12 uh, serves in that capacity. Uh, in, in even Paul sets the context in, in verses 1 and 2 of this chapter, where he appeals to the Christians at Rome by the mercies of God. He goes back to chapters 1 through 11 that has just been drenched in the reality of look at what God has done for you uh, in spite of who we are. Uh, And uh, that appeal to God's mercy is the motivation for followers of Jesus to live by the grace of Christ. And then in verses 3 through 8, which which Ben referred to uh, last week, um, it narrows it a bit, and then we see Paul's blueprint through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. What do we take into this new life? How are we gifted? How are we equipped by the grace of Christ? And now, in our epistle passage today from Romans 12, on page 7 of your bulletin, uh, Paul narrows things down even more, and we see this road atlas, in a sense, Um, We go from the motivation for the journey to equipping for the journey to now the journey itself. And that forces us to face a question. As we look at how to live faithfully as followers of Jesus, what does that involve? What marks us? What is the DNA of a Jesus follower living that life? And We have sort of a two sides of the same coin thing here. First of all, in verses 9 through 3, it seems that Paul is demonstrating to followers of Jesus that we are marked by loving actions. Uh, Verse 9, and this is where the English translations of our Bibles sort of uh, dress things up. Uh, It says in the ESV, let love be genuine. And in the Greek text, uh, Paul literally does not use a verb. He just says, the love genuine, uh, as if he's making that a title for this next chunk of verses. That, that's sort of the canopy, the umbrella. This is, this is what's on the marquee. Uh, so this is how he's titling that section. Uh, and, and we see this unfolding of this sense of love coming out of the heart of the Christ follower. It is one that is other-focused. It is one that seeks hope and the flourishing of fellow believers. And so what does this look like? Well, he says in verse 9, Abhor what is evil, hate it, shove it to the side, hold fast to what is good, cling to it. 
we have a recent um, phenomenon in our household where our granddaughter Tori likes to come up to us in, in the kitchen or wherever and just wrap her arms around someone's leg. And then if you want to go anywhere, you're forced to sort of uh, stiff leg uh, walk along with her because she just won't let go. Uh, and, and that's a bit of what Paul's getting at here. Cling to it. It is, it is worth clinging on to. Um, verse 10, love one another in brotherly affection. Uh, this is uh, the, the word he uses. There is um, a brotherly affection. It's Philadelphia. Uh, that might be uh, familiar to some of us. Uh, be devoted to each other, he says, as if you were a family. This is your new family, and there should be an all-in sort of desire and devotion to one another. Verse 11, do not be slothful in zeal, and be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. The, 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 being a follower of Jesus is, and obviously this comes and goes, it can percolate, it can wane. We get that, we're human beings but, but Paul does say that there is, in general, a, a genuine zest and a delight that, that comes with loving one another well. To, to not wane from that, that, that serving the Lord, part of that is serving one another. And that we should do this, verse 12, for the long haul. That this is a long runway. He says, rejoice in hope. We're not told what the horizon of that hope is. It could be a while, but but to keep rejoicing in that process. To be patient in tribulation, because that comes and is coming. Uh, And be constant in prayer, naturally, because we need prayer. This is beyond the scope of our natural ability. We need the strength of God for a life of loving action. And just to make sure and to, to circle back to, to the practical needs of God's people, Paul says, contribute to the needs of the saints. That was something he was doing often. He was taking collections from churches throughout the Roman Empire to Jerusalem or wherever to distribute them to the poor. But also hospitality. Seek to show hospitality. Both of these contributions to people in need showing hospitality, that was a big deal during that time. The, socio, the, the tendency of the, the socioeconomics for the church back then tended, trended towards poor and lower middle class. Uh, and so if you were, say, on, on a journey, an overnight journey, uh, and you were a follower of Jesus, well, you often couldn't plunk down the money for an inn and a, and a soft, warm bed and a meal, Christians were often dependent on other Christians to show them hospitality. Um, There was a lot of subsistence living back then, and so Paul stresses contribute to the needs of the saints. So why all of that? Why the stress on all these layers of actions born out of a heart of love? Well, I, I think the key here is we connect that So verse 1 again, Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, remember who you were. Remember what God has done for you in Christ. We have been loved. 
so extravagantly and so undeservedly by God. So we have the privilege of extending that love to one another. And so that changes things. All of a sudden, someone who is really grabbed by that appeal to God's mercy and really understands what, what, what God has done for them, all of a sudden they start looking for opportunities. And uh, for, for those of us who, um, who, who may struggle with, uh, with, with those opportunities, you can always find someone who can channel you in that direction. Above all, this changes the attitude of the follower of Jesus. It's very easy for us to ask, whether it's because of limitation of time or energy or whatever, where we can ask, why should I? And if we really think, and if we really take the mercy of God redeeming us into ourselves, the question changes from why should I to where can I? Even the small things. If someone, if a, a fellow follower of Jesus has gone through a tragedy and needs a shoulder to cry on, you can be there. If, uh, if, if there are medical issues going on or, or, or whatever and, uh, and a family or an individual needs a meal, you can provide that. Uh, or if, uh, if there's, a, if there's a, a young family, we have an, we've been blessed by a number of younger families in our church with kids. Uh, they get tired too. They get exhausted too. Isn't it a blessing if someone would approach them and say, hey, um, you, you know, uh, why, why don't we watch your kids for free and, and, and the two of you go out, have dinner, have a date? Or maybe it can just be, I'm confused about certain things, elements of the, of the, of the Christian life or just about life in general. And you can say, well, let's talk. Let's carve out some time. Those are small things. That's low-hanging fruit, but those are loving actions born out of hearts that are touched by the mercy of God. And instead of asking, why should I, say, where can I? That's all part of living that life. But then Paul is not just focused on the, the family of God and our relationships with each other, but also how the Christian church faces the world. And in verses 14 through 21, we see Paul taking on that perspective and making sure that the Christians in Rome who were in the midst, they were at the epicenter of, uh, you know, worldly activity and behavior. He wants to make sure that followers of Jesus realize you have to be marked by counter-cultural actions. Things that people who are not touched by the grace of Christ just yet would say, what are these people doing? Or have they gone bananas? But Paul says you're kind of called to a bananas life, in a way. And we can't go deep with all of these. You might feel we're hopping and skipping around to certain ones. And these are aspirational things. We look at verses 14 through 21 that Barb read earlier, and we think those are aspirational. Those are things we should reach for. But in ancient culture... You just didn't go here. 
And, and even today, in our honest moments, we might think what Paul is asking from followers of Jesus, this really goes against the flow of our culture today. Uh, they're, they're what I call salmon virtues. They, they swim upstream against the current of our culture. Uh, well, what is he, what's he pointing out here? Well, there's the posture that we take uh, towards the world. Um, he says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Don't think about getting yours. Don't think about, oh, how dare they? I'm so offended, as easy as that might be to think. But instead, bless them. How, how can you bring hope and kindness into the life of someone who doesn't really care? Verse 15, rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. In other words, empathize with other people in their time of need rather than exalting yourself. Now, now both of these verses, verse 14, you know, blessing those who attack you. In Greco-Roman culture, that's not what you did, okay? You got even with someone. You, you, you smashed them, okay? You lashed out at them. Uh, when you saw people who were, who were celebrating, uh, the, the, the tendency might be, okay, that's wonderful, but it really doesn't do anything for me. Same thing about weeping with them. In verse 16, live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. And in that time, the people who were lowly, the slaves, the poor, the orphans, the widows, the people begging in the gutter, they were the last group that people of status would associate with. But Paul says, that's whom you must go to first without any sense of chest thumping. And then verse 18, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably. Not with a cluster of people, not with those that you select and others you ignore, with all. And this would have flown in the face of, of everything that uh, people knew about that time. It can fly in the face of everything that we think today. In our very, um, we, we might say, charged culture, especially as we have an election coming up next year. This can be uh, take on a very serious vein. Uh, but Paul is delivering these words in the midst of a what is often viewed as a shame and honor culture, one that values strength. Uh, if you had, if there was someone who had a problem with you or who was different than you, you smashed them. You defeated them. You triumphed over them. It, it, was, it was you against the world because it was a culture that, that valued strength. Uh, and you couldn't show weakness or humility or grace at all. And Paul says, no, that is exactly the type of people you need to be. And the word of God says to us through Paul today, as you go into American culture, Day by day, in 2023 and 2024 and beyond, you need to reject the elements of the shame and honor of your culture, of getting even, of, 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 uh, of associating yourselves with, with the power brokers and the popular ones. The posture has to be, am I aligned with the humble? 
Do I bless those who would have nothing to do with me? And that comes to the outworking of this. In verse 17, he says, Repay no one, absolutely no one, evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of God. Question, for, for those of us, myself included, um, is that our go-to thing when we are crushed by someone else's words, when we are wounded, when, when you are slandered, when, when you're vilified? Is it to inquire, now, how might I be, how might I show the grace of Christ and be honorable in this situation, and draw other people to God. Our tendency, I would say, tends to be react. Okay, how do I get back? How can I make the undercutting, sarcastic remark that would just bring this person down, especially if there are other people around? Okay? I mean, I admit that goes through my mind, and sometimes I plan that. Of course, it never happens, because life never happens how you think it's going to. But, but Paul says, uh, he comes back to it in verse 19, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. He's quoting Deuteronomy 32 there. Uh, and and he, he's saying, do, do not go all in on getting even, when, when you are wronged, when you are slandered, when you are vilified, be dealing, he says, with your response, because that is what people are going to remember. Because if, if, we, uh, if we're going all in, on a response where we're trying to get revenge or our version of revenge in a situation, what we're really doing is saying, I think I can handle this better than God can. We're putting ourselves in the place of God, and that is a dangerous place for people who have been gripped by the mercy of God to be. Your job, my job in those situations is to exemplify the Jesus who died for you so that you could receive mercy. Uh, one, of, one of our friends in North Carolina, uh, who we spent time with there when he was planting a church, um, it was his second um, excursion into church planting and revitalization. The first, his first time around was near Charleston, South Carolina, and that church flourished for a while, did very well, and then, um, you know, there were some toxic elements that, that entered in. Uh, and, and one night, Cameron was called to a meeting with some of the other um, leaders in the church, and they told him that uh, it, had, it could be his way or their way, but, you know, it couldn't be both. And they were asking him to step down. Now, now you know, I, I can tell you beyond the shadow of a doubt that was very unjust. Uh, Cameron did not deserve that. But his response always impressed me. He told me that he went home to his wife. She asked him what happened. He relayed the, you know, the whole story, the whole narrative. And she said, well, what do we do? He said, honey, somebody has to exemplify Jesus. That is our job right now. 
It is not to hang on to this. We are called to trust him and to represent him. That takes a heart that has been touched by the mercy of Christ. And, and so that, that is what we have to sort of have or ask the Holy Spirit to develop within us as a default mode. We're, 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 um, the way we conduct ourselves as followers of Jesus, the stance we take, the willingness to go against the flow to others, it's meant to show to a world that is running on empty and banks on revenge that the way of Christ-like abundance and virtue is the way. And that might provoke other people to repentance. It might hold other people accountable. That's why Paul says, by doing it, if your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, do something totally different than, than what he thinks is going to happen. By doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Uh, do something out of the vein, out of the normal vein, and it might work, it might not, but the point is you are leaving room for God and you are allowing God to be God and you are not. Is God sovereign enough to be God? Can I relinquish that control in my life so that he might be God and I am not? So as followers of Jesus, we're called to loving action. We are called to actions that mystify others and go against the flow. But they offer refreshment to a world that so desperately needs it. Um, a number of years ago, um, Mike Leach, who has passed on, um, he, he died late last year, Mike Leach was the head football coach at Texas Tech University, and there was one day that he was in his office, and his assistant, uh, Lincoln Riley, uh, w was with him, and, and Riley mentioned uh, later on in this story, after uh, Leach's death, there was a call that came in on Leach's cell phone. So it's, it's an old flip phone. He opens it up. He says, hello. And he says, oh, yeah. Well, how are you doing? And he and a, a short phone call. When Leach meant a minute, he could talk for a minute, it meant usually about an hour. Uh, he just went on and on and on, 30 minutes. This call goes on, he's very engaging, he, he's warm and personable, and all of a sudden, the call gets dropped. And so he closes his phone, opens up again, hits the redial, and gets the whoever it was on the other end back. Talks for another half hour. Engrossing conversation. Finally he says, well, good talking to you, and he hung up and and Riley asked him, Coach, who was that? And Leach said, well, it was just the wrong number. Now, that, you, you don't think of somewhat of a football coach of a major university being kind enough and warm enough and loving enough and crazy enough to take out an hour of his day for someone who had just called and it was a wrong number. But, but that is, is the sort of spirit that Mike Leach brought to that. And I can tell you, many people do not expect loving actions and countercultural actions touching them today. But what an opportunity we have where we who have been gripped by the mercy of God and covered by the blood of Christ on his cross, 
to bring that hope and refreshment to a world that is hungry and thirsty for what God offers. Amen. By your sovereign mercy, Almighty Father, given in your Son, Jesus Christ, may we seek the good of your people in love, and may we have the strength and durability of spirit to be agents of grace in a graceless environment that others might turn to you. This prayer we make in the name of our Lord Jesus, our Redeemer, our Savior, and most certainly our brother as well. Amen.